Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I am Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planter, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. It is our last Sunday night show of the year, but just a heads up, we'll have plenty of off-season content every weekend, so every week, not even weekend, every week, we don't stop, so keep listening. Um, We're not allowed to stop, are we, Matt Harmon, who is joining me this evening? Uh, Yeah, of course. Football never sleeps. (laughs) It is a 24-7, 365 high-demand industry. The folks are ready for all their 2021 takes, they're ready for draft takes, they're ready for... Free agency takes. We're going to be here for all of it. It's it's going to be a great time. And we will continue to satisfy you. But I have to say what satisfied me on this particular week 16 Sunday is the amount of effort and energy and care of detail that our production crew has endured mostly remotely over the past, I was going to say four months, but let's be real, They've been working nonstop for six months trying to mount a virtual studio and set for FFL. Ragu and Brett are fearless podcasting producers who've added this video element because of all of the COVID-related um, obstacles that we face. So I am incredibly satisfied and think that there are not enough opportunities to thank everyone who has worked behind the scenes in whatever capacity, ensuring that we were in a place to deliver information, and you, the listener, were in a place to consume some some good content. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I echo everything you just say, and anytime that ever, anytime that I was ever like, oh man, this is just totally weird, like, you know, doing stuff from home, I thought about, I looked around at all of this equipment in the room here, and I thought, wow, I'm glad that I'm not the person who had to set <laughs> this up. Or then make sure that it operates every time that it operates. So anytime there's been any sort of like technical difficulty, anything like that, it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm not, uh, I'm just amazed that this is all working as well as it has. So it's, it's been a good year uh, for, for that. And I've been impressed with everybody that we work with, no doubt about it. Endless energy to, directed towards keeping it up and running. So thank you, everybody. Um, I hope, even if you're not listening, just energetically feel the good vibes because Matt and I are incredibly grateful to everyone who made this season a success when we didn't even know, frankly, six months ago if we were going to have a season. So that is incredibly satisfying now as we are in a position to actually look back and let's do that 
with the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets, two teams who might not look back with as much um, gratitude necessarily as we are right now. Um, Cleveland loses most of their receiving core to to COVID-19 protocols before this game. We anticipated, Matt, that Austin Hooper, even before the receiving core was hit with the COVID restrictions, would have a, a big game because the matchup against the Jets for the tight end position is good. And, oh, lo and behold, we thought we thought J.D. McKissick seeing 14 targets a couple of weeks ago was a big deal. Austin <laughs> Hooper draws 15 and still can't find the end zone. Yeah, of course. Uh, Baker Mayfield throws 53 passes, uh, and none of his wide receivers cleared 60 yards. And the guy who had 60 yards was Jamarcus, I think, Jamarcus Bradley, who uh, – Got to tell you, don't have a big scouting Rolodex on uh, Jamarcus Bradley takes or anything <laughs> like that. So I, I felt, I feel like I, I don't know about you, Liz, but I knew that the 2020 season had officially broken my brain when on uh, Saturday, or not Saturday, when on um, Christmas Eve morning, I woke up uh, to the news that the Detroit Lions would you know, basically be without their entire coaching staff on their Saturday mm. game. And my thought was, well, it, you know, it do be like that sometimes. Like, yeah, that just, just kind of happens. And I'm like, no, wait, that's not normal. That's so weird. And like, it's just, no, like any other year, that would be the biggest story. But here in 2020, it's basically not even a blip. And same thing with like the Browns having an entire position group just wiped out, you know, less than 48 hours be- before the game. I mean, I feel like we've just become so accustomed to these things this year. And because our our job is to adjust, to adjust, adjust. And same with uh, the NFL. They're, the teams are, it's it's about adjusting on the fly, even in a non-COVID world. And I feel like it's, so it's something easy to default on. But at the same time, it just, for me, it's like, yeah, they should have still should have beat the Jets, no doubt about it. Um, Baker Mayfield probably should have played a cleaner game. But I'm also like willing to give these guys a little bit of leniency on this one. Am I Am I wrong on that? Or am I overreacting to the weirdness of it all? I mean, I think if we're looking back that overreacting is not the right word to use because we have, as you, I think, put it quite well, grown accustomed to the necessary tweaks that have occurred over the season. I mean, as you were talking about Bevel missing the Lions game, my first thought was like, yeah, but Jason Garrett is the OC and he missed the Giants game. Like, you know, and and that's evidence of you being like, well, it's not the H, but also Bevel wasn't, isn't really the head coach anyway. He's the interim head coach. And that kind of, you know, (laughs) so I I think you're right. And I, I do think though that, Here's my problem, uh, not problem, here is, I think, the challenge presented to Kevin Stefanski on this particular loss, and that is we are leaving a week in which Freddie Kitchens, because Jason Garrett wasn't available, stepped in as as the OC, right? And we know, obviously, the the revenge narratives from last week were, were robust, to say the least. There are plenty of them to go around, right? But we're... It, yes. it, it, it brings forward to my mind the lack of discipline that the Browns had last year. And Kevin Stefanski has been such a mm, – he's been meticulous. Can we say that? Like, he's hes not necessarily, like, um, Johnny Finger Guns. He's, like, joking with the media. Like, he's a straight shooter. And I think when you have this happen at such a large level, it maybe brings back some of the questions – about discipline and this franchise 
that are just trying to move past those ghosts of last year and were reminded of them because of the Freddie Kitchen narrative last last week. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Um, you know, I talked about this on the show a little this morning that I feel like Baker Mayfield is a Kirk Cousins type of quarterback, and there were a few like a section of Browns fans that were horribly offended by that as if like they don't have a, a jersey full of goofballs that have, you know, gone through that uh, that quarterback position for Cleveland. And like Kirk Cousins wouldn't be a blessing basically over the last like decade for Cleveland. But uh, I, I feel like asking a guy like that and Baker to his credit after the game owned the loss and like, you know, said this is on me, yada, yada, yada. But still asking a guy like that to go out and, you know, punch completely not even just left-handed, but I feel like, again, without your entire receiving core, guys that you have, like Landry and Higgins, our analysis on these guys is like, well, these players have good chemistry with Baker, where maybe OBJ had never had that type of chemistry with Baker. So then you're asking Baker to go out and play with guys that you know, he's, he's just not familiar with at all. Asking a guy like that to not even punch left-handed, but to like come up with a whole new third hand or something like that, it's a lot. So, yeah, I mean, the Browns, hopefully it doesn't spoil what has been a really good season for them. Hopefully they can still get into the playoffs next year or uh, next week, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Anything you want to say about the jets? Here's what I will offer. Um, I don't know why it took 16 weeks for Adam Gase to pull out some trick plays to discover the athleticism of Chris Herndon. Yeah. Uh, That's the most tilting thing for me is like, well, yeah, I mean, I, Am I really to believe that that Greg Williams was the problem here? Is that the cancer in the locker room? It's very difficult for me to believe that Adam Gase didn't have a part in some of these failures. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like you said, this team has been so conservative. They've been so run-heavy with Frank Gore on first down, mm-hmm. despite where they are as a team, that it is interesting here at the end of the season that they're coming out fighting, coming out punching. Uh, it's ultra tilting for Jets fans, I know, who are super bummed about officially losing out on the Trevor Lawrence sweepstake. They will not be picking number one overall. That honor, quote, honor, will go to the uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, it, yeah, it's, it's weird. It, it, it is very strange, and uh, I, I don't know that Adam Gase is going to be coming back in 2021, but... You know, maybe Sam Darnold will be. I feel like the future is now. What's this is? I think what's so frustrating for Jets fans, where it's like they're like, okay, we're willing to just suffer through zero and sixteen horribleness right now if we can get this quote generational quarterback prospect. Now the future is just so so up in the air. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll have more answers to it in a few weeks, but uh, yeah. nevertheless, right now, I think it's a, it's a frustrating place. So we're talking about how weird this season has been, how weird that particular matchup was. The weirdness extended to the Falcons at Arrowhead contest. This was not the, uh, when you talk about things we've grown accustomed to, 300 plus passing yards plus three touchdowns from Patrick Mahomes. This was not that effort. And against uh, a defense that should not have maybe posed this sort of threat. Again, it is hard to do what the Chiefs have done. You, I thought, made a really like unique, funny, glib, but also spot-on point about Andy Reid drawing up some trick plays. Because you know what? Stuff gets boring, so let's keep it real with Sammy Watkins throwing Mahomes a pass. Um, ultimately, though, as much as we can say that maybe this, this 
this particular matchup didn't have the shootout appeal or the ping pong carnival aspect to the offense that we have seen from Patrick Mahomes. I think the most tilting part <laughs> was that Le'Veon Bell, who off the bench in replacement of Carlos Hyde last week, had 16 touches in this week, is number two to Daryl Williams. Yep, pretty tilting. I uh, know Lev Bell tweeted after the game, like, listen, uh, we play. Again? No, he said we play a letters game, not a numbers game, meaning, you know, the only thing that matters is W's and L's, not uh, your fantasy stats, of course, or or just regular stats or whatever. But whatever, be that as it may. Um, yeah, I mean, at the same, like, totally, it was tilting, no, like, watching the Chiefs not exactly do what we expected them to do to the Falcons defense. At the same time, I felt like, I mean, give me a break. Uh, uh, right. uh, Kansas City Chiefs trailing the Atlanta Falcons, that that lead feels as safe as lighting up a cigarette uh, while you're pumping your gas. Not very safe. Figured the Chiefs would come back and win this game, um, and and here we are. The, the one takeaway for me on the Atlanta side of it, you know, Calvin Ridley, is this his eighth game over 100 yards this year, I think? He's a full-blown superstar. That was my reaction, like watching him get some of these great releases off the line of scrimmage. I mean, he's done that all year. He's the type of separator that I feel like is impo- it's impossible for this guy to not continue to get better. It reminds me a lot of, like, Stefan Diggs. You know, Pops his first few years. Um, he has a great season to establish himself as what I think is now, like, a number one receiver. I think Stefan Diggs was established as a number one receiver, like, three years ago. But then eventually, you know, in year, like, five or six, he puts together – a true elite season, which is what I think Diggs is doing now. I think Ridley is on that trajectory. You know, he's an older prospect. You can poke some holes in like his yards after catch profile or something like that. But Ridley's gotten better. He's gotten better each year, and, and I'm I'm willing to bet that he takes yet another leap next year and yet another leap the year after that. Um, these guys that can set. I mean, you know, this is the way I think about receivers. Like these guys who can separate like this. Once they start putting together the other details, they're just going to keep growing. And I feel like Ridley's on that trajectory. So he's a player I'm obviously super excited about next year and the years after that as well. Well, and this is also not just the not just the settling into a slot receiver who needs Julio or an X prospect on the outside to draw defensive attention. This is someone who can uh, evolve into. You mentioned Stefan Diggs. I think someone else who has done it in the same way as Keenan Allen, right? Like that's a, a prospect yeah. who is labeled as just a slot receiver. And then you realize that they are, they can be an alpha with versatility that's different than what we used to think of as an alpha X. Um, and so I, I think that's a great point. I'm looking forward to your reception perception from this year on him. Um, the most surprising, because again, the surprises are abundant in 2020 I think from this one is also the fact that the Falcons falconed on the leg of young way which is not how you expect them to lose a game yep but all all uh they're just you know running the run the gamut right now like which uh ways to lose games late so gotta respect them for checking all the boxes <laughs> well in other ways so we didn't expect the Falcons to lose in that fashion we expected them to lose ugly at the end but maybe not with their kicker who's been on point so much we also didn't expect at least I didn't maybe you saw this coming Matt and if you did congratulations Oracle friend Ben Roethlisberger to mount a comeback after the half by throwing the deep ball where the hell has that been all year this this game literally puts me into a brain pretzel because I mean, we were all ready to correctly write the obituary 
on Ben Roethlisberger after that first half. He has looked terrible on balance, not just the last month when the Steelers have kind of gone into a hole here, but I don't think he's looked good all season, period. I mean, they haven't pushed the ball down the field at all. So then as I'm sitting here and they're doing it in the second half, then I'm like, you're throwing it deep down the field to Deontay Johnson. You're throwing it deep down the field to Chase Claypool. You're throwing it deep down the field to Juju. Like, all these guys. So, yeah, why weren't you doing it before? Like, what what is going on? My assumption had been that they weren't doing it because Ben couldn't do it. I definitely think he does not want to get hit. I'm totally, totally, sure. like, firmly believed believing that, right? But, like, this guy looked like he was worse. He would was a worse option than Mason Rudolph last year. I mean, that's how miserable this offense has become. And I thought that was the main symptom the or the, the main root of the disease was was Ben and where he was at right now but yeah then the second half they come out against a good defense and a good defensive coordinator in Matt Eberflus and and they play they play like that I I'm so I'm so thrown off by that because like that was fun to watch those all those receivers cooking at once that's cool Roethlisberger throwing it down the field like it's 2018 I'm in on that but <laughs> this is two quarters based on and, and, and as opposed to everything else we've seen this year. So, yeah, very tilting. I, I I don't know how to feel about the Steelers right now. Well, I think it was not just that he was – it was interesting having Phillip Rivers on the other side of of the sideline, right? Because you think about Phillip Rivers still trying to do it, right? Like trying to, to write checks that his body can't cash. And that's why he's throwing these INTs, right? Because he can't – physically fully get to the receiver. And so you're expecting, I mean, like I definitely watched Ben step back and chuck it and took a sharp inhalation, right? And held my breath. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, Oh no, this is going to sail like this. There's no way this is going to work as if I was watching Philip rivers. And when it did click, that was the most exciting part. So also I love the point that you're making about him not wanting to get hit. He only took one sack here, but I do feel like, the O-line, which had been a bit of a problem, shored things up nicely, and I did not anticipate them doing it against this defense. Say what you will about Indianapolis maybe not being on bat. Like, I think this is a perfect example of an opportunistic defense that is hitting a stride last week to force Buckner coming back, like, in a way that nobody really anticipated. You've got... um. Uh, Darius Leonard like disrupting every single play and in something and the fact that the Steelers whatever Mike Tomlin said to them maybe one of his million motivational handbooks at the half clearly works so now the answer is what happens down the stretch into the playoffs and from a fantasy perspective I have no idea either right like because so much of how we so much of how we project these receivers in particular moving forward into 2021 from a fantasy perspective is going to be based on this postseason. Like there's, there are other we're unboxing still. Like, I don't, I don't know what's next. I feel like I'm eating a damn kinder egg here. Yeah, I know. And cause this version of the offense, I mean, they're running like four slants at the goal line. Cause Ben just got to drop back and in shotgun and, that gets so predictable. You could see teams squatting on it. Uh, obviously, the, the Colts were all over it in the first half. That offense is unsustainable. I think a lot of this offense is unsustainable. Like, I'm a Deontay Johnson guy, but him getting, like, 14 targets every week on 15 sl- – well, that doesn't make sense. Like, 14 targets and 10 <laughs> of them are quick slant routes. That's not sustainable. That's not a – it's not a healthy way to play offense. I think Deontay can do more than that. I think Claypool can do more than that. Some of these, they're just counting on these super young receivers to make some high degree of difficulty catches 
getting the ball in their hands in like fewer than two seconds out there. So that's, it's not a sustainable offense. I don't think they can play that way in 2021. And the question just, it remains to me is just Ben. So for, yeah, for projecting for fantasy next year, I think week 17, I don't know if they're going to go out there full throttle. We'll see about Mm -hmm. that. Uh, but whatever they do in the postseason, I think that stuff will matter. And then I would expect them to also start thinking about the future at the quarterback position as well. Like, it, well, they've been trying they to, possibly... and, and Ben has giggled it away. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Um, I just feel like they can't go into next year looking at like, oh, if Ben is in week seven and he looks like the last three weeks of what we've seen from Ben mm-hmm. Roethlisberger. I don't think they can go in with just having Mason Rudolph uh, and and Duck Hodges as the alternative again. You know, I think they got to have something better than that. Tough talks, tough talks coming for the Steelers. Uh, we had many tough talks with fantasy managers about their excitement and maybe tempering expectations for Jonathan Taylor, who down the stretch has come on and been the guy that we've said it week after week. Uh, many were anticipating you know, in July and August, he, let's just, I don't think we need to talk much about the Colts because they are clearly a a work in progress. And there's like a small window here when you're looking at the ages of Mm -hmm. Phillip Rivers and, and uh, T.Y. Hilton. But Jonathan Taylor is the most intriguing, exciting piece. Is he for you a top five running back pick if we're drafting today for next year? Probably not top five, but it feels like we're going to have the same conversation that we had about running backs uh, next year as we did this year, which is that there's a lot of really quality options at the top. You know, of course, there were injury issues this year. There's going to be injury issues at running back every year. But a lot of these guys that went high this year, I think, will go high again next year. Um, and now we're just adding guys like Jonathan Taylor into that mix. We're adding guys like Antonio Gibson or James Robinson, surprising rookies from this year, mm-hmm. into that mix. So. It's just going to be another quality position, but absolutely, I'm I'm excited about his outlook going forward. Like I think that not only was this, he got some good matchups here down the stretch. Even uh, in this game, obviously a tougher matchup against the Steelers, but still comes through. I, I think a lot of this was he just started to play better, and and that's not uh, unexpected. This is an off season, unlike any other this year. Not a lot of prep time for these rookies. I don't think they really ever they ever expected him to be the guy. I think they were legit about we're going to ride Marlon Mack harder than people think to start the year. Maybe they just didn't view him that he was ready to do that, but he has looked ready in the second half of this year, and I expect this to be more of what his career looks like than the early part of his rookie season. And we have to remember that Marlon Mack went out week one with an Achilles. Like, he's still he's still on the roster, and Frank Reich is like an old-school football guy. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of the same talks about Jonathan Taylor as we did about like if I could mash up the conversations we had about Josh Jacobs and Nick Chubb, I think those are the talking points we're going to hear a lot of from Jonathan Taylor, and he's going to end up being drafted in about the same place. But again, we have plenty of time to figure that out. Shall we talk about, oh gosh, Matt, you know, of all of the, of all of the conspiracy (laughs) theories that emerged in 2020, I can't believe I didn't see a reverse engineered Mitch Trubisky season coming. I'm putting on my tinfoil hat. This was all a plant it was all planned. The Nick Foles, Nick Foles has been a hired stuntman. This is not real. I actually don't believe that. But I do think it's wild that here we are. I think the wild part is 
if, look what the Don't a lot it. of what, are you talking about Bill Lazor? Don't do it. No, 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 no. Okay. I think a lot of what they're doing on offense, though, from a passing perspective is really smart. You know, they're having Trubisky roll out. They're using so much play action. They're keeping the throws pretty short. They're not giving him a lot to think about, right? Like, it's pretty much, here's your first read. But I always thought, too, when they went to Nick Foles, it's like, this is never going to work in the, this version of the offense. Like, if they'd had a pass-protecting offensive line and all that stuff, like, great. I, this offense is just very strange to me. It sounds like they're going to end up running this crew back, though, because the Bears are they're probably going to make the playoffs. Um, they, I don't think they're going to do anything when they get there, but they're probably going to run this Matt Nagy crew back. This is, um, it's an interesting ownership group. Should we put it like, put it like that? Uh, I don't think they really want to make a coaching change. I don't really think they want to blow this operation up. So I feel like we're going to see a, a pretty similar bears team, but of course, Trubisky's without a contract. Allen Robinson is also without a contract. So we, we shall see. But um, at this point, I don't agree with it, but I feel like because they've beat up on this soft schedule here to end the year, and they're probably going to make it into the postseason, I feel like this group is going to get another chance next season, and that feels weird. Ugh. From a fantasy perspective, like we do have to say that Mitch Trubisky <laughs> I love, love, not- love that you're just like, <sighs> from a fantasy perspective, let me talk about something that's less painful. <laughs> it's not like Mitch Trubisky is – is startable, right? Like 265 and two touchdowns against the Jacksonville Jaguars is not particularly exciting, right? That's not like, those aren't starting numbers. What he did provide was enough stability to feed David Montgomery and and feed Allen Robinson. What? He's QB5 on the week right now. because It's a bad week, Matt. It's a bad week. (laughs) I'm just just saying. He continues to like, make make it work in fantasy because he runs i mean this the threshold for a guy that can run like him is so low from a passing angle um yeah i i I think i saw tj hernandez tweet this out that like uh tom brady leads the nfl in touchdown passes right now and he's probably going to finish as like qb 10 or qb 11 on the season because that's how much rushing makes a difference for fantasy success those are cheat codes i mean you're right he did yeah yeah okay fine i I surrender. Hashtag surrender. Uh, Sorry, Mike Lennon. The revenge game lasted all of a quarter. Uh, James Robinson wasn't available for this one. He probably was glad. Can we also just one second? Like, there's also this... uh, When at the top of the game, watching Matt Nagy try to purposefully scheme a score to Cole Komet when David Montgomery is available to run the to run the play that you have had him running since the beginning of last year and you choose not to do it and then old man Jimmy Graham backs his way into the I mean the, for two touchdowns the whole thing is just a giant mess like I don't know. I hope this team signs Allen Robinson. Volume was his friend this season. It was his friend last season. He's obviously talented, regardless of who's under center. And Darnell Mooney is a nice speed element that has emerged, but I don't, I don't think he can be. So- you know what? I have a question for you. I'm, now the wheels are fully falling off the wagon because I'm pissed. But can we right. talk about um, <laughs> how Anthony Miller? What happened there? Teams like to have a scapegoat, and I feel like because he dropped a few touchdowns like early in the year, they were ready to just pull that 
uh, like pull him off the field. He definitely made some mistakes, and sometimes mistakes will cost you. It appears to have cost him um, his job. But yeah, I mean, I, he's a guy that I would I would pay attention to on his next team or something like that because I still think there's talent there. But maybe just got the talent evaluation wrong, and um, he's got the yips or something like that. But I think he's still I think he's still a good player. So we'll see what happens there. But they obviously really liked Mooney and the vertical element that he brought to the offense, especially under what should have been a drop back shotgun passing team with Nick Foles to take vertical mm-hmm. shots. Cause that's su- supposedly what Nick Foles is supposed to be good at. I feel like in that sense, it made sense to go to Mooney, but also it was just weird that they never wanted to play seemingly play a lot of 11 personnel. They wanted to have these two tight ends on the field. We know the bears have had like a tight end obsession this year. Uh, and we've seen the outcome of that. DJ Turk also finds the end zone making um, DFS value plays happy across the board uh do you have anything to say about the jacksonville jaguars i don't want to make the chicago tonight we can move on to the giants at baltimore unless you have something salient to add or pressing uh trevor lawrence is gonna have some guys to work with i think dj chark is still a good player he was great in 2019 he's just been injured and dealing with some trash qb play here this year uh chenault i also think he hasn't popped like some of these rookie receivers but he's a playmaker too and obviously james robinson wasn't out there today but he is a he's a good back and a good like foundation piece for their offense and there's a lot of resources in jacksonville to make this work i wouldn't be surprised if they do sort of similar to what uh the colts did when they got andrew luck they just went all in on offense that year wouldn't be surprised if Jacksonville, who knows who's going to be making all the decisions there, but wouldn't be surprised if Jacksonville ends up going that path. But they already have a lot to work with. I, not a lot, but they've got some decent pieces there to work with in Jacksonville. Let's talk about, uh, as I mentioned, the Giants at Baltimore. So, I mean, this is what the Ravens want to do. And you mentioned the rushing upside that these mobile quarterbacks provide to fantasy stat lines. Lamar Jackson passes for under 200 yards, finds two receivers for two passing scores, uh, and yet also <laughs> has manages 13 rushing attempts. Gus Edward for 15, uh, J.K. Dobbins for 11. You can do the math there. J.K. Dobbins also, you know, was a little bit banged up, came in and out for a second. Uh, but Lamar Jackson posts 80 Rushing yards on 13 carries. Gus Edwards, for reference, 85 on 15. One of them is a professional running back. The other one is a wildly tilting quarterback who is changing the game. I feel like the Ravens, it was so, it was months ago that we were talking about on this podcast. Well, I mean, maybe we just, like regular season doesn't really matter for Baltimore. Uh, it's all about January. They probably played a little too fast and loose with that because they put themselves in a position where they had to have a really strong end of the season. They also probably were not expecting to have um, a, a huge COVID outbreak, obviously. That sort of was uh, definitely off I think that kind of helped them, though. In I mean, it, Lamar has been awesome since he's come off the COVID-19 list. He's like back to posting – MVP level efficiency numbers. He's been great on the ground. We know that the run game, I think has also, I, so I, I, I don't want many teams messing around with this like three man rotation anymore. If you want to have Gus Edwards be a part of the mix. Yeah. You got to take Mark Ingram out of the mix. Cause I feel like now they've, they've got a good thing going when it's just two backs as most people, uh, as most teams do, like when they simplify the rotation to at least just two guys, 
it makes it a little easier, I think, for the offense to get into rhythm because we know running backs, it, running backs a rhythm position. So Baltimore looks like the team I expected them to be this year, and they're doing all the things that I expect them to, to do this year. Hollywood Brown has four touchdowns in his last five games. The other game where he didn't score, he hit ninety yards, hit ninety-eight yards uh, against Jacksonville. So. It's been a rough season for him, but he's kind of turned things around. This offense looks like the version uh, that we expected it to be, and I think they'll do damage in in January. I wouldn't want to face the Ravens right now. I think also we all put the the evolution of Lamar's arm narrative on this team. They didn't necessarily put it on themselves, right? Like, there was a little bit of talk, like, we're not going to run Lamar as much. Well, they didn't. That doesn't necessarily mean we, as the media, were the ones who were like, that means that he's going to pass a whole lot more. But no, and I I think coming back from the COVID outbreak uh, gave them an opportunity to just play the kind of football, like you said, that they were built to play and that they excel at and that other teams are having trouble stopping. Um, If we are going to talk about the other team, in this case, the Giants, I... I said this in my fearless forecast. I was I was on running backs for week 16. And I feel like when you're the Giants, maybe you should look for as many silver linings as possible. Because let's be honest, it hasn't been a great year. And mm-hmm. perhaps one of the greatest offensive silver, silver linings that's emerged for you in 2020 has been Wayne Gallman. So why not move away from him and start running... Alfred Morris out there or giving Dion Lewis more looks at the goal. I mean, what, what are you, why are you doing wing Gallman rushes six times for 27 yards? Sure. He catches both of his targets for another 26 receiving yards, but what a disappointment to see, to, to be given a gift and then be like, nah, you know what? I'm going to return it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I just feel like, the Giants were out of this game so quickly. Um, I also just don't think the Giants are very good, right? Like there was well, a no, moment of course where we got they're not. Kinda... Yeah, I, 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 that's the thing is you're not going to be able to establish a guy like Wayne Gallman unless you're playing with a lead. And when their defense took a step back due to some injuries, especially in the secondary, I mean, Baltimore went right down the field on them uh, and were playing with an early lead pretty much right away. You're just. Gallman's the guy, like, could it, he was good in that stretch of the Giants season. Like, talk about this all the time, but the season, uh, an entire football season, like, little chapters within a larger story. The chapter of the Giants season where they were this tough physical defensive team and they're winning that way, they could definitely establish a guy like Wayne Gallman who isn't really a huge asset as a passing as a passing player. That chapter has seemingly closed, so now it's, uh, you know, Gallman has been phased out. Whether, you, like, you think that's a good decision or not, I feel like that's the explanation behind it. But again, I don't think the Giants are doing anything smart uh, to begin with. I think, I mean, the excuse, right, that you're saying is, is it's game flow dependent, right? But I also yes. feel like if we're all, if we're at in the at the same side of our mouths, we're going to say that like running back is a position of rhythm and look at the rhythm that the Ravens are picking up. Then you have to give your lead back who, by the way, produced against Seattle when Colt McCoy was under center. So you've seen it happen before an opportunity to find that rhythm instead of giving the ball to Alfred Morris, who I didn't even know, except when he emerged on the Giants a couple of weeks ago is in the damn league anymore. So And when we're looking at the NFC East and talking about the playoff implications for this team, it's not like this team, as bad as they were, didn't have, didn't, wasn't playing for anything. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, That's what, that's what the NFC East will bring you. 
guess I guess so. Um, Cincinnati at Houston. This was a pretty interesting fantasy game. Before we get into it, did you happen to catch? Uh, did you happen to catch JJ Watt's speech to the media after the contest? I did. Uh, yes, yes, I did. I, I would like to know how you felt about it. Uh, I had a couple of thoughts. One was that I know people are talking about wanting like, or JJ Watt potentially getting traded in the off season because you know, the Texans mm-hmm. feel like they're a couple, they need some assets because their former footballs are <laughs> as traded away all of their draft picks. They don't have a lot to retool this roster. I just feel like JJ Watt is so a part of that Houston culture. And I mean, I clearly cares so much that, it's going to be tough for the first, like the general manager, whoever that is to come in and be like my first move, my first big swing here uh, as general manager is going to be to trade this like guy. That's going to be tough. That was my first thought. My second thought is it's just another affirmation of like these guys for most of them, for guys like JJ Watt, it matters. So like all these games matter so much. All of these little moments matter so much that for us to sit here and you know, there are a bunch of Panthers fans out there so upset that they will, will, that they lost this or they won this game this week because it's not going to help their draft position. Um, give me a break! Like, who cares about being the third pick or the ninth pick? I know you want to get like a franchise quarterback or something, but at the same time, it's what's the difference? The draft is so unpredictable. Yeah, I get being upset that you missed out on Trevor Trevor Lawrence, but like these players want to win the game, so stop even giving your energy to like. Oh man, I really want this team, my team to lose so that they can bump up a couple positions in the draft. The players are never going to get behind that as a guy like JJ Watt showed you today. That was a couple of my reactions to it. Oh, I think those are, I, I wanted, I was looking forward to this part of the conversation because even though we're supposed to give utility for fantasy, when I watched uh, his post game interview, <laughs> I wanted to talk it out because I thought it was interesting. And I thought that he, you're right, is so iconic to the, not just the Houston Texans, but he's a part of that community. We've seen him as a Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, you know, do wor- be lauded for his work within the community and the um, amount of money he gives to local charities. And I, I did feel a very similar thing about you cannot... Div- it's going to be very difficult for whoever comes in to take away such a fan favorite and someone who is, many might argue, not the problem. Um, I do think a problem is that David Johnson (laughs) waited until week 16. David Johnson has gotten squarely on your radar of late and I, I, I'm in, I'm in on it. For the record, I had no exposure to David Johnson because I had done that rust versus rest, uh, piece over the summer and I was, uh, thank you nexting him, but. Yeah, 12 carries for 128 <laughs> yards. Oh, this oh is God. like this is like three weeks of David Johnson production slammed into one. And, that, you know, we know the Bengals are giving up probably, well, like 4.7 yards per carry, 5.1 yards per carry to opposing rush or something like that. Right. They're generous. But David Johnson is still David Johnson. This was one of those games where you look at it at the end of the year when you're thinking about, like, making some daily fantasy stacks where it's – these are two just – hideous defenses the Bengals are have been terrible for a few years the Texans have turned into one of the worst stop units in the NFL and there's just enough offensive talent to absolutely fire off the the fireworks we know Deshaun Watson 
um, is a great player and has been putting up unbelievable numbers despite the fact that the Texans stink. Uh, Brandon Cooks is back. He played really well in this game. Uh, but then you've also got the Bengals, and, and, and they're the offense that kind of has to cooperate in this spot. I mm-hmm. mean, they get Samaj P. Yeah. Ryan with two touchdowns. T. Higgins, 99-year breakout player for next year on FFL this morning, 99 yards and a touchdown. Like, they all had – this was that game where you just wish you had stacked up everyone in Daily Fantasy because there's no playoff implications. Doesn't matter really to, to the grand scheme of things. But bad defenses, so much fireworks. There will be a couple of games like that in Week 17 too. So if you really want to get out there and take one last swing at regular season DFS, good luck looking at those as well. Just fantasy fireworks, and that is what we love. I had a feeling that the Samaji P. Ryan game was coming against this uh, this opposing defense in the Texans, but after Bernard put up numbers against Pittsburgh, you know, and it all, all bets are off after he was benched for fumbling, right, or like the week before that. Um, I like that you mentioned T. Higgins. No Tyler Boyd in this one. He was out for a concussion, but I do think T. Higgins, especially if the Bengals draft Sewell, they give – um, that line, some much-needed reinforcement with hopefully a back-to-health Joe Burrow. Worth noting that Carson Wentz like tore his ACL at a similar point in the season as Joe Burrow did, and he missed the first two weeks of his return effort. So I think it's safe to assume Burrow won't be back until maybe the middle of September. But if you get Burrow back and you add Sewell and uh, you've got Tyler Boyd working efficiently in the slot and now you have this this outside alpha receiver with a monster catch radius things are exciting things are getting a little bit frisky in in Cincinnati and I do think that T Higgins I'm, I'm gonna say it now assuming all of those pieces fall together 1200 yards and eight touchdowns in 2021 wow I like it uh by the way we're talking about Samaj P Ryan as he obviously did have a big game going into Sunday Night football he's running back three on the week yeah. uh geo bernard geo bernard is still running back nine uh in yahoo scoring so that's how bad the texans are on as a run defense you uh you hate to see it i guess maybe yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. maybe, maybe you don't really... well jj watt hates the... to see it i'll tell you that <laughs> that's right that's right perfect way to perfect way to to close that matchup let's move on to the nfc west divisional showdown between the rams and the seahawks you talked down russell wilson and we all agreed with you. Uh, and on FFL this morning, kind of a, a weird effort, like a bit. Of, I, I will admit that I was working on another project for the last quarter of this game, but I watched the first half pretty intently. And um, you were spot on for the first half of this game. And also, yeah. when you were talking about um, the, I, I thought the broadcasting crew did a really excellent job illuminating a point that you had made on our uh, FFL halftime show, which was that there is no intermediate chain moving for Russell Wilson. There aren't any easy dump off. Everything is the whole kit and caboodle deep to DK Metcalf every single time, or he's running. There's there's no little layups, right? Um, and none of that is schemed up for him. And in fact, we saw a lot of that in the first half. Yeah, Russell Wilson. Hey, it's like just as we said, Russell Wilson right now, going again, going into Sunday Night Football, he's QB 12 on the week. That's about where we expected him to be. Mm-hmm. Certainly he didn't destroy your fantasy hopes if you had to rely on him. Um, the bigger story of this game, I feel like, is actually on the Rams side. This is this is kind of coming in as we're, we're taping. But 
Uh, Adam Schefter said that the Rams are uncertain if Jared Goff is going to be able to play next week. It's regular season finale because he injured his right thumb. Uh, he said the team expects to know more in 48 to 72 hours. Mike Silver, on the other hand, from NFL Network says his right thumb is broken. So um, didn't he pop it not, back in? I thought he popped it yeah. back in. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's what Schefter also says that he did. Uh, I'm reading this as, as, as we're going here. So excuse okay. me if I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm misfiring, but yeah, God, Schefter said that Jared Goff's thumb was dislocated on the field, but the team fears that it is broken and he's going to have more testing on Monday, and yeah, like I said, he'll know they'll they'll know more in forty eight to seventy two hours. Not what you want to have your uh, quarterback breaking his thumb in week sixteen. This was a a, ru- a rough watch of a game as it is, uh, because just I don't know. I, my friends and I were all having this discussion during the game back and forth in our group chat, like how good you know just how good is Jared Goff, and I feel like we have this discussion at least four or five times a season as it is, and then uh, yeah, for him to break his thumb too, not not exactly what you're looking for. Daryl Henderson also looked like he sprained his ankle in this game too. Big big injury problems there for LA as they uh, as they lose the NFC West to Seattle in this one. Right. Um, so you mentioned Daryl Henderson. The team was without Cam Akers dealing with ankle injuries of his own. Um, and then it was just Malcolm Brown. But does it does it really matter? Because are we are we confident at all that this team's going to do anything in the postseason or even get to the postseason? How do uh, God? This is this is the type of year where I've always this is the time of year where I've got the the, the stupid playoff picture on NFL.com up on my desktop all yeah, the time. Yeah, I'm looking at it now be- because I mean, right now they are they're they'd be the sixth seed. Uh, this is good stuff on the air right now, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if like, I don't think they've locked in a postseason berth. So they could, theoretically, they got to play week 17 against the Cardinals, right? Oh, right, right. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, then it's, whoever win whoever wins that game would, uh, would be in and the other would be out. I don't know. Anyways, it's not what you want, but, uh, I, I don't feel good about I don't feel good about this offense because they can have these type of games all the time. And I feel like we were all definitely talking about the 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 ways that Seattle had taken a step back offensively. That was very true. But this Seattle pass rush has gotten very good. Since they acquired Carlos uh Dunlap in the middle Dunlap, of the season, yeah. this team led the NFL in sack rate. They were uh, near the top of the league in categories like pressures, hurries, everything like that since they acquired him. So this is the type of front that does give Jared Goff some trouble. I mean, he makes mistakes even when he's being presented all of – unlike Russell Wilson. Goff is presented with answers all the time because of the construct of this offense. He's presented with a lot of layups. But he still sometimes answers the question incorrectly – when presented with pressure, when presented with heat. And this is the type of defense in Seattle now. It's not the complete – I'm not saying they're they're a great defense or anything, but they can certainly get after the passer, and we saw that, I think, in this one come to fruition. I think – I love the point that you're making, and I would just fold in that once Jamal Adams was acquired, found his groove, and got healthy – also, like Jamal Adams is a safety, but he is being used as a pass rusher regularly. You're seeing, I saw him yes. tackling Daryl Henderson. And so uh, we know, obviously, if you follow <laughs> Carlos Dunlap on Twitter, you can see his uh, the disgruntled tweets that he 
uh, posted ahead of this move to Seattle. So I think it took a minute to adjust. And yeah, also, I guess this is a conversation, like a larger conversation or a deep dive article, because there is a problem that the NFL is having an inventory issue that the college ranks are providing edge rushers and um, pass rushers at a rate that they are not supplying offensive linemen. And so the need for quarterbacks to become mobile and evade these pass rushers because they don't have steel curtains or giant walls to protect them is all the more prevalent. And when you have a quarterback like Jared Goff who isn't a scrambler and you have someone like Russell Wilson on the other side of the sideline, you can see how that difference matches up and you're just not going to get the inventory necessary to build. The Colts have what they have and that is unique. It is not the norm. Yeah, so many teams are operating on these these boot action Shanahan style offenses. I mean, it's it is it's hard to evaluate quarterbacks outside of that structure because Goff is a guy when he's pushed outside of structure, he doesn't play very well. Mm-hmm. You could argue Baker Mayfield in that same type of offense is also one of those players. Whereas then you've got guys like Ryan Tannehill, um, his dropback numbers outside of play action have, have started to trend up. So maybe he's starting to get better outside of structure. Then you've got obviously in Aaron Rodgers, this game is going on right now. So it's just on the mind. He's now playing in that offense. And now that he's comfortable in it, there are so many answers because you can get to you. It's pretty easy. I feel like to get a guy to perform at an average or even slightly above average rate in this style of offense. And it, then obviously if you get a great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers in this style of offense, they can push to win an MVP with the type of stats they're going to put up. But yeah, just it, it's very hard to evaluate quarterbacks in this structure specifically, especially if they don't then have that great pass protection. And I think if we're talking about mobile quarterbacks, I think the next obvious place to go is the Eagles at the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Andy Dalton, you mentioned, was able to stabilize a lot of these receivers. I want to hear your take on this receiving core because on Fantasy Football Live this morning, you said the thing you didn't care about was how managers might have been burned by the receiving core in Dallas, but they have to saddle up these guys for one more ride because Andy Dalton had had supplied just enough stability to make them fantasy relevant in Week 16 especially, given the injuries to the Eagles' defense. I'll tell you what, it was a fun ride. (laughs) It was a fun fun ride today. Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup both hit 121 yards. Gallup scores twice. CeeDee Lamb also finds the end zone. This Eagles secondary was the big reason that, yeah, Dalton had gotten to the point where the offense was stable, and a stable offense and a stable quarterback can go out and punk that group of cornerbacks they were rolling out there, especially um, some of the injury replacements across from Darius Slay. That was a problem all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, my big take, and I was texting with some Cowboys friends of mine, they were like, it's just depressing almost to watch these receivers go off because – you just wonder what this team could have looked like all year with Dak. I think there's still some problems in Dallas. I mean, Mike McCarthy, bro, why are you kicking fourth and goal goal line field goals? I thought you uh, rebranded yourself as an analytics guy. Uh, I don't know if when the PFF somebody shows buddies you think who that... they are, Matt, believe them the first time. Oh, I found uh, someone dug up an old tweet of mine, which I was glad that they did because then I could re- repost it as well. 
where um you know this is my your your favorite thing that i do on air is explain memes i'm gonna do it right now uh you know the scene in the office when creed dyes his hair black and uh looks like he's when when he's worried dunder mifflin is gonna start cutting out all the old employees that's what mike mccarthy looked like rolling into meetings like i'm an analytics guy now i toured pff (laughs) no fake not real not real so yeah i'm not confident and that's the worst part about it is you worry that this is a very limited window here because you don't know what the future is going to look like with Dak. You think they're going to get him re-signed and all that, but there's no guarantee. This receiver core, how long can you keep all three of these guys under contract together at the same time? Your backfield is probably in transition now, or maybe not because you've locked yourself into Zeke's contract for a thousand years. Same time, he still looked pretty good today. Actually had a hundred rushing yards and was breaking a lot of tackles. Uh, if you started Tony Pollard, tough scene for you. There's just a lot of uncertainty with Dallas. Even if like getting their franchise quarterback back next year, I still feel like there's going to be a lot of questions. And I- I'm still confident that this receiver core can put up great numbers. But like I said, there are at least some questions there. We also don't know if Kellen Moore is officially going to be back as the OC. I mean, he's up for a big job. Boise State at- job. At Boise State, which is where he went, right? And so why not go be a hero instead of dealing with the drama that Dallas provides? Uh, And, you know, and and also to that point, we've talked enough times um, about the money in Dallas and how they sacrifice pieces of their defense for their offense, which means you have to have a quarterback that can get you out of situations that the defense is going to get you into. And I don't know if you don't do that without a monster contract. Now, we'll see coming off of the injury, obviously. But this is, this is going to be a fascinating study. And we might have, I, we might have a whole new, not just um, like play. We might have more than just a nucleus here, but some, some coaching and regime changing, changes as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so excited if... Kellen Moore leaves this team and Mike McCarthy decides he's going to be the HC slash OC of the team. That I'm not excited about. I do think we know, though, that Jalen Hurts... uh, Let me rephrase that. How are you feeling about, or do you even believe there to be a quarterback controversy in Philadelphia? I think that there were enough moments in this game where you could go either way on Jalen Hurts. No doubt he made some spectacular plays, made some outside of structure plays that Carson Wentz is not capable of doing at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know. It's I, I, Frankly, the answer to is there a quarterback controversy is I have no idea. The Wentz contract is going to be tough to move. I, I think they enough like smart people think that you can move it. If you kind of finagle the numbers and whatever things can always get done in the NFL. So sure. They could move it. Who wants to trade for him though? I have no idea. It's a big reclamation project to take on when there's not a ton of open chairs at this point. You know, even the Frank Wright connection for Carson Wentz, do they really want to go down that road or do they just want to kind of keep riding the Philip Rivers thing? Because obviously Rivers is not coming off the best day in the world today, but by and large has been pretty efficient within the construct of that Colts offense. So the Wentz thing is just so strange to me. Um, there was enough moments, though, in this in this game for Jalen Hurts where he made enough mistakes where I'm not locking him into being a, a clear-cut starting quarterback. But I think there's enough to build on that maybe you do what you could argue that the Denver Broncos should have done this year. You know, they saw enough flashes from Drew Locke last year to go in uncontested with Locke uh, in 2020. Locke's coming off a good game today, though, so, you know, whatever. Uh, but I think they could have added another veteran to the mix, too. And I feel like the Eagles could do the same thing. 
if you get Hurts, I mean, if you get Wentz off the books, you bring in Hurts and you bring in a really good backup so that if Hurts falls on his face, if he doesn't develop in the offseason, then you've got a backup plan there. A- am, I, am I answering your question or am I talking in circles? I don't know. But no, uh, I think still this is, but I think talking in circles is what Philly. we need to do at this point in the season. Like, I'm finding this, this piece of it fascinating because as I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, he's leaving the door a little bit open here. And, and there is big money. And I, I like the idea of potentially, if you're able to, lifting Wentz's money out and replacing it with a cheaper backup, veteran backup. As you're saying that, I'm like having fantasies about Gardner Minshew in an Eagles uniform. I don't know if that's the answer, but I do think that'd be kind of fun. It could be fun. I don't know that that's the answer either, but I will say this. They don't have a lot of wiggle room, though. They're one of the teams that's right up there against the cap. They don't have a ton of easy cuts, and we also have to assume that the cap might, for the first time ever, because of the pandemic, come down this year. The salary cap is usually fake news in the NFL. Like I said, things get done when teams and want to And we see the Saints do it every year. We see the damn Saints do it every year. But every year. this might be a different type of situation because of the pandemic and the potential changes to the league revenue, all that type of stuff. So it's just something to keep in mind. We also we don't know what the coaching staff is going to look like in Philadelphia. Is Doug Peterson coming back? I don't know. We'll see. Let's. You mentioned Drew Locke. And how he was coming off of a good game. So let's move to Denver at the Chargers. Um, Justin Herbert obviously was limited by his options with Keenan Allen out and Mike Williams struggling through a back injury, even though he had 10 targets. I mean, you, you only caught four of them, baby. That's, that's not greatly efficient. And also Hunter Henry on the COVID list here. Hey, so, you and- show some respect to the game ceiling <laughs> interception. From Drew, uh, from Mike Fair. Williams on that one. I mean, you have to imagine though that like health played a piece of why his his efficiency waned yeah. so heavily. Ain't nobody used to have a bad back. Ain't nobody used to have a bad back. And Nailed it. again, believe who when someone says who they are, believe them the first time because Anthony Lynn is also. I just would I'd love to see Herbert unleashed. And he had opportunity to do that with Bouye suspended and some of the other issues that the Denver secondary and defense is dealing with. And, you know, instead we get 253 for a touch. And I don't think it's all his fault, as I said, because he doesn't have the elite weapons and security blankets that he has been gifted with at the, you know, since he took over for Tyrod or Tyrod. Yeah, this was a very strange game. And yeah, Herbert at this point is down to dealing with the banged up Mike Williams and a lot of end of the roster type players. And of course, Austin Eckler's still there in the passing game. He catches a touchdown. He's another one of these guys that my analysis for Eckler going into this year probably won't change. You know, he's a guy I'll be drafting right in the same range next year. Uh, If not with even more enthusiasm than I already was, because we know that he's paired with a great quarterback and potentially maybe a new head coach. We'll see. On the Denver side of it, a couple things. Yeah, I think Drew Locke's stats look worse than his actual gameplay was because, number one, he did throw the pick to Mike Williams. <laughs> Jump ball specialist, doesn't matter. Off- offense, defense. Mike Williams gets the <laughs> game-ending interception uh, on the Hail Mary. Also, man, Jerry Judy, rough. Rough game. game, rough game, yeah. 15 targets, 6 catches, 61 yards, and it looked that way, too. Um, he made a lot of mistakes. There have been a lot of 
deeper Twitter conversations about the mistakes and the, uh, the drops and the plays that he's leaving on the field right now. Uh, he's also a guy that has been struggling with injuries late in the season. You kind of wonder if they just give him uh, week 17 off. But yeah, there's still plenty of talent on this Denver offense. And Locke is at least putting together a stretch here to, to, to convince this team to run it back. Whether you agree with that or not is immaterial. They're probably bringing Fangio back. They're probably bringing Locke back. Maybe they add more competition. But there's just you, you would like to see the offense end the year on a better note, but some of these younger guys are making some mistakes. But Locke at least is playing all right. And they'll have Cortland Sutton back next year. Yes, that's uh, huge. You that's huge. That, that's massive. Philip Lindsay's time is probably done in, in Denver here. He struggled with injuries, didn't make it to the field this week. Throughout the season, he's been struggling with injuries. Melvin Gordon remains like a monster. And I think Noah Fant is a really lovely, consistent piece. And he and Locke have shown regular regular rapport as the season has unfolded. I mean, Fant's still working out some of his hands issues, but I think overall this has been a positive season for him and some good progression. Yeah, no doubt. Panthers went to our nation's capital and um, I, the Washington football team is still in the playoff hunt. They need to beat Philly, I believe, next week. They dropped yep, this game they to win the and Panthers. In. And the Panthers are an interesting study because... Whatever, whatever that kind of you, you see these these coaches come from college and they have and obviously Pete Carroll is the like gold standard for this, but they have that cheerleader rah rah stuff that gets players to play up for them. Now, how long that lasts is another story, but you're seeing this Panther squad. I think if we're looking at on balance over the season, consistently overachieve or or manage beyond uh, exceed beyond expectation. Yeah, um, this was, like I mentioned earlier during the J.J. Watt part of the show, there was a lot mm. of conversation among Panthers fans about they really wanted them to just lose this game. And again, I probably just I have a complicated relationship with the Carolina Panthers, so I probably follow too many fans, too many Panthers media folks, so this is maybe just an overstated thought. But there's definitely some um, anxiety about them winning a, quote, meaningless game. But you know, Matt Rule made the point after the game, these games matter. We want to win. We want to, you know, whether you think you carry over momentum from one year to the other, that is the way that coaches feel about it. They want to build a winning culture. They don't want to just go out there and not put their best foot forward. I think that Panthers fans feel some anxiety over these wins because there's a collective realization that Teddy Bridgewater, great story. Uh, the fact that he's come back and he's established himself as a solid quarterback after a horrific injury that's great, but he's not a starting quarterback. He has been a not just not just keeping the ship afloat. He's become a problem from them late in the year. A uh, lot of fumbles, um, turnovers. You know, this isn't a perfect offensive environment by any means. But you got Curtis Samuel balling out today. We know Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore are good players. You know, Christian McCaffrey, you'd like to have him. Mike Davis has been a hit or miss this year. Uh, does score a touchdown today. So it's not exactly like – it's not like he's playing with the Saints, like that offensive environment last year. But at the same time, he's definitely emerged as uh, not the clearly not the solution. Like they want to get – the Panthers fans clearly want to get a franchise quarterback. And I wouldn't mind seeing a higher ceiling quarterback 
with this group of guys. Because like I said, Samuel, my dude, is out here uh, pushing for 1,000 total yards because he wins. Uh, he gets 52 yards on the ground. That was a team high. And 106 yards through the air. That was a team high. Matt Rule called him a difference maker. We'll see if they re-sign Samuel. But I'm taking a mini victory lap on Chris Samuel. And I'm just going to go ahead and do it. No one can stop me from it. But, yeah, this is um, – I think that's sort of the, the tenor around the Panthers right now is that Teddy is starting to leave some plays on the field. And that's been a little problematic of late. If we're talking about a team who wants a franchise quarterback. I mean, I think the Washington football team Ugh. would enjoy one of those as well. You got T Taylor Heineke out on the field. Uh, Dwayne Haskins is not the answer. Alex Smith is not the answer. Uh, and yet, when we're talking about an offensive environment, we talked about an FFL, the nucleus. You and I brought up different players as our bold prediction. You and I, I think also really, really liked Antonio Gibson coming into this season. This was one of the players that I was most excited about because of his versatility. And maybe, you know, JD, JD McKissick got more targets that we thought might have been siphoned off towards Antonio Gibson. But on balance, I think we are have to be impressed with what Antonio Gibson did coming back from turf toe. You know, he manages, he rips off a 22-yard long run um, and also does see some looks. Not enough, but like some looks. There is there is the suggestion of him being incorporated into the passing game, which we'll take, especially if we're going to draw an analogy perhaps to like Josh Jacobs last year. You've got no Terry McLaurin in this one. And then you've got Logan Thomas, who continues to lead the receiving core, the pass catchers in looks with 12, converting seven of those for 63. I think Thomas is one of the most underrated stories of this season. The progression that he has made from being a quarterback in 2016 to what he is now. He's coming off of a 100-plus target season. He's running the basically the same number of routes per week as Travis freaking Kelsey. It would not surprise me to see him post 79 catches just over 800 yards and seven touchdowns next year. Oh, Liz, when your bold prediction involved Logan Thomas at the end of the show, I'm fist pumping uh, over here in the in the in the home studio. I will always be here to hype up the pride of Lynchburg, Virginia, Logan oh, Thomas. Right, I am right. so I am so in on the Logan Thomas hype. So um, yeah, no, I, I I love it. I agree with you. This is a good offensive ecosystem. Dwayne Haskins just didn't it. He gets benched for. Uh, Another Virginia guy, ODU's finest. He's not ODU's finest. There's there's other better ODU players in the NFL. But Taylor Heineke, um, my sister's college friend, pseudo friend, Taylor Heineke. So yeah, there's um, there's not a, there's definitely some some thirst for a franchise quarterback. I I think they'd love to see Alex Smith back as soon as possible. But there's also going to be some like there's got to be some answers beyond. Alex Smith. I would expect week 17 if Smith is not available, they probably I I would think they go with Heineke who's, you know, a Ron Rivera, Scott Turner guy from the Panthers days. Uh we'll see about that and you know, for for Antonio Gibson, the one thing I would say is like JD McKissick has a contract for next year too. So, I'm excited about Antonio Gibson. I hope they get him more involved in the passing game, but that's going to be something we got to talk about as as we're making projections, even if I am very excited for him. I think that's fair. And I think a lot of it is go. A lot of our projections obviously will be determined by what they do under center, which we cannot um, figure out just yet.
I do want to say be, the thing I, I like that you're bringing up JD McKissick, and as excited as we're getting about Antonio Gibson, it is worth pointing out that for two weeks in a row, McKissick's target volume has stayed steady with Haskins, even though he wasn't under center for the entire time, which shows me that um, there is a place for him in this offense, and we know exactly what it is. But I also don't think it's ent- entirely bad. I think there might be some complementary usage here, and I'm not. I'm still going to remain bullish on Antonio Gibson. We were all bullish on Fantasy Football Live about Josh Allen at New England. Obviously, those two squads play on Monday night in prime time. Is there any part of you, Matt, that thinks that if Josh Allen goes up early against this New England defense, obviously we've talked ad nauseum about how it's not what it used to be, no Stephon Gilmore for this contest, that because... Because the Bills have clinched, they might pull Allen early and rest him? Uh, The only thing I would say about that is if they go up early, they will be going up because of whatever Josh Allen is doing because he is the the engine of that offense. They're a beautiful team in that they don't even care about, like, trying to establish the run. I saw Buffalo Bills' Twitter account post an article from buffalobills.com why you should have zach moss in your fantasy lineup here in week 16 i was like no thanks i'm good <laughs> appreciate the tip though uh and you know, maybe moss has a good game whatever but the point is they have been a pass first team a pass first second third fourth fifth team this year and when they're not passing it's josh allen running the ball so i wouldn't get i mean look at this point you've made the decision but i'm, I'm not worried about josh allen at all if they go up big it's because of uh whatever he's done any thoughts about New England? And obviously it's been a, a disappointment. Some might no. call it a fall from grace. Some may have said we uh, gave Bill Belichick too much of the benefit of the doubt heading into this season. But are there any pot? We also know that Cam is on a one-year prove it, right? And I don't think he's proved it. So there are question <laughs> marks. <laughs> right. There are, there are certainly questions that we'll have answers to as the months progress. But is there a silver lining at all for the offense here? Is there a player for fantasy purposes that you are at least semi-optimistic about moving into 2021? Um, I think Jacoby Myers has played well enough to have a role, but, and, you know, Nikhil Harry has started to flash just a little bit, but, but I'm just going to say, but no, the answer is not really. I mean, Myers might be a decent role player, Edelman, I, I think we're pro- that ship has probably That's sailed. It. Damian yep. Harris is a, is like all of these guys have played okay, but it is a it's a poison environment. You know, this is Brady was really struggling in this offense last year. Cam has obviously struggled even more so. I think for a number of different reasons. Um, but I don't think you're growing any. This is the type of soil you're not growing anything in at this point. Like they could have had. What what was the alternative to Cam Newton? Like Jared Stidham, that would have been oh just terrific. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, There's I, nothing. No, New England needs a full. New England needs like a full offensive overhaul because this personnel is not good, and I don't. I, they have a lot. Of, they have a lot of work ahead of them. I don't feel very good about the Patriots right now. I will say the player that I am not going to give up on is Damian Harris just yet. Of course, I would love to see him be incorporated into the passing game more. Everyone would, but specifically because we know he has that skill set. We know it's in his, his tool belt of, of, um, 
opportunities and and it's available to him if it could be made available to him right like he has the ability if the opportunities were made available to him so I'm gonna keep an eye on him I'm, I'm not I think we've all learned that Sony Michelle is Sony Michelle but that might be the only offensive piece that I think could still provide real consistent meh, maybe um fantasy numbers yeah I think you're probably right about that all right, Matt, you're gonna do you have two more of your articles or is this the last one? I will be doing a week seventeen edition of Care Don't Care. Oh, okay. Well would you like to plug your week sixteen version of it? Yeah, gonna obviously of course expand on some of the thoughts that we've had here in this game and I will definitely be talking about what is a very interesting Sunday night football game because uh Aaron Rodgers in the snow is Duncan on the Titans. So I'm excited to watch the rest of that game. And, and that will be the big feature of the piece, of course. Podcast. We have a lot of podcasts at Yahoo Sports. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. We also have the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. One more thank you to Planters. Andy and Scott will be back tomorrow morning. They'll, re- they'll be recapping the journey that was the 2020 season throughout the week with a little bit of Week 17 news sprinkled in there. But until then, we are out. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.